Welcome to Philosophy, guys. My name is Caleb Mackey, and today we have a little bit of a detour. Usually we talk about fitness, but today we're going to be jumping into a personal story from a guest who is also my very good friend, Wade Bass. Yeah, I feel like it's, um, you know, it's like that period of isolation that everybody has to go through in order to grow at some point, and we're all doing it right now. <laughs> we're all like going into the dark cave, and we have to like deal with demons or whatever and lots of people's addictions are coming up and they're having to face that stuff right now for um, sure for yeah i've listened to a lot on the the psychological effects that this has had on a lot of people you know and like suicide rates or alcoholism or addictions or whatever like really gone up through this time so it's even more important for us to like try to stay connected and reach out to those friends who you know might have those you know, addictive qualities or yeah, it's crazy. I love it. It's, it's exciting and terrible and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, it's been going really well just cause, uh, you know, at first it's like, well, I can't go to the gym. It's like, all right, well now I got to do body weight exercises. I was not happy about that at first. Um, but you know, I started really enjoying it. I actually might stick with the calisthenics after, after mm -hmm. I go back, I might cancel my gym membership because I feel so much strength coming on in different ways, mm -hmm. you know, like that. Uh, mm -hmm. It's kind of like that foundational strength that you need to have in order to lift weights in the first place is full body movement, uh, muscle cooperation, all that different stuff. Yeah, 100%. Like one quote that I often say is, you know, make light things feel heavy so you can make heavy things feel light. So if you can make your body weight really like intense and like create full body tension once you have that skill then you'll be able to increase your deadlift increase your squat because you know you just have that mind body connection of like being able to create tension and create strength out of nowhere sweet man Alrighty, guys so today is philosophy we are talking about a few different things here uh talking about Fitness, obviously. Uh, we have Mr. Wade Bass on here. Bass? Bass. Wade Bass? Bass. Bass, that's right. We have Mr. Wade Bass on the show today. Megan is taking sick leave. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to jump on. We're going to ask him a few questions to get to know this, this Mr. Man that I've known for a while. Um, how did we meet? Did we meet through... Uh, I think your mom and your brother, just through being at the house. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking it was through the volleyball community, right, over at the, yep. at the island. And interconnected in a couple of ways, because I know we climbed at the same gym. and That's you know. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I ran into you a few times there as well. Mm -hmm. So let's start off with a couple of questions about you, have you talk, and I'll kind of interview style podcast you here. Um, tell us a little bit about your background, Wade. Let the people know. Yeah. So, you know, I've always been into fitness and, and sports and like I was a skateboarder growing up. So that actually requires a lot of like mind body awareness to like, you know, be able to use your feet to make manipulate a board to do things. And that was kind of my main sport Then I wrestled and, you know, played basketball and did all these other sports and fitness has always been a huge part of my life, but I pursued finance in college. So that pursuit of finance for money basically led me down this weird path of like, okay, I'm going to try to go to New York and be on the stock exchange and, you know, 
ultimately moved out to Denver. I applied to a financial company 29 times after I got my degree, finally got in, worked there for a year and a half. And I realized that that was not the life for me. So, you know, went down to South America, spent like six months or so down in South America, just traveling around, doing different things, trying to find myself. Uh, ultimately found out that I was going to be broke at the end of that six months. So went back into the financial industry, worked there for another eight months. And I was like, all right, I got to do fitness because that's what I'm passionate about. I'd be sitting on these calls with people speaking about all of this money and retirement plans. And I just remember thinking, I hate this and I don't care about this at all. <laughs> so uh, yeah, ever since that kind of revelation happened, I've decided to pursue fitness wholly. And uh, it's a decision that I've been incredibly thankful for. Nice, man. Nice. Yeah. I, I think uh, a lot of us deal with that where we get stuck in the, I'm going to make money mode rather than the, I'm going to do what I like to do mode. Um, Cause I had gone through a similar phase when I was, when I started on my journey, I think it was seven years ago, I was 20 years old and I was trying to do a job that I absolutely hated for somebody. And it was the longest job I ever had, which was eight months. Um, and I remember quitting and I had like $3,000 in my pocket and I started up a business with a buddy of mine. And, uh, that's how the whole journey began for me. But, uh, it was definitely, <laughs> it's definitely, uh, doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. Um, yep. and I think that's a uh, part of our journey as well as just discovering what it is we really want to do. And that takes a lot of time for a lot of people and it's really quick for some people. So I love it though. Yeah. And it's scary, you know, cause like, it's like, okay, do I choose happiness or do I choose money? And a lot of times it's like, that happiness path or that path of passion, there's not a very obvious way to make like a, an income. Like I always thought like, I'm not going to do fitness because I'm going to be poor my whole life, yep. you know? Yep. And uh, so it's like a scary jump to make, especially when, you know, you have the opportunity to be in finance and have good benefits and have a steady paycheck and all of these things. But once you make that jump and you really dive in, uh, I could not imagine any other option looking back now. Yep. So what is um, fitness for you? It's obviously going to be more than just physique stuff, right? There's something in there that really draws you to it. So tell me what you, what fitness is for you. Yeah. Like, you know, I think like, you know, most of us are, you know, most of most people who are just interested in going to the gym or working out, I think everybody kind of starts out, throughout these phases. And I think at first I was really interested in the gym because I was always like a little scrawny kid. And so like, this was my opportunity to grow and like, you know, try to gain some physical prowess because I had absolutely zero. Mm -hmm. um, so that was where it started at first. It was just massive insecurity. And then I was like, okay, on this, this let's get huge, you know, plan. So of course doing, you know, doing bicep curls and like on this really strict bodybuilding plan. And, you know, this is over a long, like a long period of time where I was kind of stuck in that mode. And I had this big goal of reaching 190 pounds. And, uh, I finally got to that 190 pound, uh, 190 pound mark. And once I got there, I was like, my shoulders hurt, my back hurt, my hips hurt. And so I was like, Hmm, why did I pick this goal in the first place? And like, you know, I just felt like it's some arbitrary number to me. 
And then so once I like realized that that goal was really not like a fitness journey that I wanted to be on, I really kind of dove into functional fitness and, you know, I want to be able to feel really good for a really long time. I want to be able to play with my kid for a really long period of time. Like I don't necessarily care about, you know, PRing my deadlift for, you know, or like hitting 500 pounds or whatever. Like it's a cool thing to do, but it's not my main goal. My main goal is just to feel really good, be functional and have it last a long time. And having been that injured athlete, like I feel like I have this gift of injury now because I know what it feels like to have literally every injury in the book. So it's required me to go and like dig down deep and like figure out how to resolve these issues, how to resolve shoulder pain, how to resolve back pain. And uh, so now fitness to me is really longevity. And that's longevity of, of course, the body. And that includes diet, that includes rest and sleep. So like that holistic approach is something I'm incredibly passionate about because I haven't been that way in the past. I know where that got me. So now I was like, okay, I need to hit the restart button. And, uh, you know, I'm 31 years old and I feel better than I did when I was 25. And like, so now I'm a huge believer in that. Right. And you're probably around 190 now, right? You're probably pretty close. No, no, (laughs) Uh, actually, dude, 175. That's kind of like where I stay 175. Okay. All right. That's cool. Yeah. I remember having a similar goal when I was growing up um, because I had an older brother and we didn't really get along growing up. So my, my idea was I'm going to get bigger than him. He's going to be my motivator. I'm going to get bigger than him. And then he won't, I won't feel threatened by him anymore. You know, whatever it is, it's that insecurity. And I think it's funny because I've conceptualized a lot of the time. um, We set these goals for ourselves, whether it's in fitness or finance or, you know, whatever it is. And a lot of the times those goals are just to get us moving because when we actually achieve that goal, it's normally not what we want, or it's normally just some ego trip that we need to go down to achieve, to realize that it's not the thing we really wanted. So it's just like, okay, it's just me figuring out what's not real. Okay. This job isn't the right job for me. I just needed to go and prove that to myself. Okay. 190 really is just a, it's just a number. It has nothing to do with anything really. It doesn't achieve anything by me having that number. Right. Um, so I love what you said about that. It's just, you know, it's part of the journey that you go through is growth is figuring out what you're not and like slimming down the small things that you really are, that you really want to achieve that maybe is your actual goal or dream or something like that. Yeah. It's all part of the process. And, you know, like still looking back and hitting those goals, I'm incredibly thankful for, because if I didn't hit those goals, I wouldn't know what it felt like. I wouldn't have had like acquired those injuries right. just willing the weights up. Like, you know, I could deadlift a certain amount and, but I would just will it up. And then, so that would create back pain that would create hip pain or whatever. So having had that injury gave me like the impetus to figure out how to correct that injury. And then that's a gift that I get to give to the world. So like still thankful for having had that journey. And now it's kind of like the next level of, of the journey. I see you there. I had, um, I think a few people know this. I had a really bad rotator cuff tear 10 years ago and I kept trying to build that strength back, but I wasn't building it by doing recovery. I was building up by being like, Oh, I'll just put on this weight and just lower the weight a little bit and then I'll keep pushing through and like build it. And it's, it was a long time learning that, uh, that's not the way that you build back strength. 
strength starts with like the really small movements, the little rotations here and there that really stretch the muscle, put it back in a good position to be functional, all that sort of fun stuff. So I feel you. I feel you on the injuries, man. I feel you. Yeah. Okay. So got a few questions here. Just some things that I want to kind of direct towards. Um, I know when we had first reached out to talk about doing this podcast, we had um, part of your story was uh, going on this trip to, was that the one that was, where was it at? Was it in South America? South America, yeah. Yeah. So I know part of um, the goal here was to talk about that experience that you had because it was such a pivotal moment in your life. And so I'd, I'd actually like to just dive right into that and have you tell that story. Um, Cause I think, yeah. it'll be fun. I think it's a really good topic and it'll, it'll be a good time. Yeah. So, you know, I'll start back in the financial industry. So at, at my job in finance, I was a back office person to start. So I would like literally work eight hours a day with headphones in and just be on a computer, just typing in data. So I would listen to eight hours a day of podcast. I'm like, I felt like if I was going to be using that time, I needed to be learning. So I just dive deep into podcasts all the time. So all of the people that I like respected and admired, they all kind of alluded to psychedelics of some sort. So one of the big ones that I heard about was ayahuasca. And typically a lot of people go down to Peru. You can do it wherever. But so Peru was just on my mind. And after listening to like these podcasts for so long and just feeling just unfulfilled by my job in finance and just knowing like I had a, I was on the eighth floor, like looking out at the mountains every single day. And I was just like, I need to get out of this building right now. Like I need to be like out on the planet. So, um, yeah. So ultimately I ended up leaving, uh, and went down to South America Wait, wait, First place, wait, wait, real quick. Don't, don't just drop off this. I want to know how that uh, process went. Were you like, okay, Google ayahuasca ceremonies? Like what was the actual process that went through? This is a great idea to I'm doing this. Like what is that? Cause that little thing is I think pivotal. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I definitely did Google it for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, looked up all these different places. I found one, one spot that like was highly recommended consistently. So I was like, okay, whatever. I'm going to like trust this. And, uh, <laughs> okay. The weird thing about it though, is like, it's in the middle of the Amazon jungle. So like they don't have, it's not like, okay, just put in your credit card number and then like, you're good. It's like, okay, Western union us $800 of just cash. So I just like basically, sent $800 cash just into the ether and I'm like, okay, I hope I'm signed up, you know? And that was the first plane ticket that I bought. So we, you know, you fly into, uh, so Iquitos is the name of the, the, the city or the town. It's actually the largest, I think, city in the world with no roads that are leading to it. So the only way to get there is by plane or by boat. And so like, it was all just like faith and, you know, having gone down the journey of, you know, Buddhism or like just, you know, just internal growth. Like one thing that you hear about is like the pretense of accident. And essentially is that like, it's just like following the path and kind of having faith in the process, of course, using your best judgment, but like, it was totally that 
pretense of accident. Like, okay, I heard about this one place, you know, and like, so then flying into Quitos, first mistake is we landed at like nine or 10 at night. So, and like where we landed, it was literally like the, it was a garage. It was basically like the <laughs> airport was a garage and like you land next to this garage and then you get out. We get out of the plane and uh, we're swarmed by, you know, they're like tuk-tuk drivers essentially. Like it's just like this, these little like, you know, three-wheeled motorcycles. So like we got swarmed by these people and they're all like, hey, like come with us, come with us. And we didn't, like, we had no idea, like, really how to speak the language, like, where we were going. And then one of them randomly, one of the guys randomly says, flying dog. And that was the hostel we were staying at. So I was like, okay, you're my guy. Like, you said the hostel we're staying at, so, you know, you know. So then we get in, uh, you know, we get in his little tuk-tuk thing. And we go to leave. And we, uh, so... It's, uh, it was my girlfriend, Holly and myself that were on this trip together. So we put our bags in the back of like in, in the back of the tuk tuk. And then we leave literally 50 feet. One of the bag gets caught in the tire of this tuk tuk and just rips the straps off. So, huh? Yeah. You know, because they're not like, you know, they're just open and exposed and like, you know, I think the guy who was driving, he was like a teenage kid so it could have been his first first ride i don't know so like right off the bat like her backpack is already destroyed so luckily i had a bunch of like climbing rope and you know different like climbing gear and i like ghetto rigged the bag to to like have straps and it actually yeah. worked for the entire six months i don't know how it worked but Wait, so real quick interjection. Are these people that you knew before? Or are these just random people who had also signed up for this journey? Like, did you go on the plane with people that you knew or were you by yourself and then you ran into people along the journey? So just by, just by ourselves. So we like landed there and uh, we didn't have any communication with who well, else was like. Did you go with anybody else or was it just you by yourself who signed up and you're like, I'm just going to go? Well, it was me and Holly. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So yeah. So Holly and myself, we went together and then we didn't know who else was going to be on the, on the excursion. Okay, cool. So then finally we like, you know, get there and then we show up and like, or the next day we stay at the flying dog hostel and they tell us to like meet at some restaurant and we met at some restaurant in this town. And then we all hopped on a boat, like this tiny little like canoe essentially with an engine booked it down the Amazon for a little while and showed up at this little village. And that's ultimately where the, the journey began. Sweet man. So that's setting the scene, right? So you're out in the middle of the Amazon, all this crap's happening. You're lost and you're throwing money into the abyss essentially. And you show up here, you show up here and it's just what, like a hut or what's going on? Is there a fireplace? Yeah. Is there a teepee? Are there marshmallows? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely a lot of different, you know, like a bunch of different huts, essentially. So we like, we pull up and they do, they did have two English speaking guides and they were kind of like telling us like, okay, this is the Maloka. This is where the journey, you know, the, this is where the, the journey, you're going to experience the journey. And then each person had their own little hut 
but each hut was like a quarter mile away from each other. So like you would walk to your hut and it'd be in the middle of the jungle and you'd be by yourself, like for like a quarter mile in the middle of the, of the Amazon. So when it's like night and you're walking to the I was like, I'm for sure getting eaten by a jaguar, for sure. <laughs> but um, it was actually a really amazing, like it was a, an amazing facility. They had all kinds of different huts. The, all of the tribes people, they would like all cook for us and take really good care of us. Every day we basically took a bath in a lake. So like we just like rub off. And, like, so you would catch fish in this lake that they have that you just took a bath in. And like you'd eat that for dinner. Like oh, nice. it was... It was like tribal. It was definitely tribal. It was the most tribal thing that I've ever ever done. And then the first night, as soon as you get there, they're like, "All right, we're going in." Like you don't get, they don't tell you much about it. They're like, "Okay, tonight is the first night of ceremony." So how many the ceremony? How many nights of ceremony were you supposed to be going through? Four. So you're there for I think six days, and you do it four times. Okay. And these are like back to back. So you've got to have a couple of these back to back. Do you like take a break in the middle or are you like, yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. This is. This yeah. So do So like the first night I was scared, you know, before I even like did ayahuasca, I'd never even smoked weed before. So like I went like straight in to, you know, not really having dealt with any type of psychoactive <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Woo, I can imagine the first experience of this journey was real intense. <laughs> yeah, it, oh, it was, dude, it was intense. And I was just like, you know, what I was was desperate. Honestly, I was like desperate. And I was like, I need an answer because I know finance and like living that shadow life is not what I wanted. So I was like, dude, I'm just going for it and I need to figure some, some things out. So that was a huge motivator to just be like, I believe in the process and I got to figure this stuff out. That's, that's insane, man. That's literally insane. And I absolutely love it. That's like exactly how it should be. I, um, my experiences were all, I mean, I've done a whole bunch of different things when I was younger, but I mean, I had never not done anything and then jumped to like a very high level like that and just dove right in. So I, that's awesome. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of me is honestly like maybe if I had done something, I'd be like a little bit more scared maybe like, it's yeah. almost like I, I had no experience. So it was almost like, whatever, like, let's try it. And it got actually by day four, like each experience got scarier and scarier and scarier. Like, because at first I was like, I'm just doing this. I need it. Like, this is going to help me. I need okay. It. And okay. then like walk, walk through, walk through what happened day one. Give me, give me the deets on day one. So day one, um, essentially like you're in this, it's a, it's what's it's called a maloka and there's probably like 15 of us there and there's the shaman and his son who's like an apprentice and you know they're singing like blessings or what they're called what's called ikaros so they're they're singing those and kind of like you know um clearing the room of bad spirits and like singing these songs and blessings so then they call people up and then you drink whatever amount that you want to drink and uh so they have to have this cup that you drink out of and i think i started out at like just like a quarter of a cup because i mean it's intimidating you know so i drank and then uh everybody else did the same thing and it probably takes 
15 minutes or so to maybe 30 minutes to set in. And like, I just remember sitting in this room and they sing this, they sing these Icaros the entire time. You're like the ceremony lasts like four or five hours and they're just singing the whole time. And you're just sitting there essentially in this like meditative state, um, meditative in a way you have a puke bucket cause it does make you like purge and like, but you're like in this Zen mode the whole time. And, uh, at first all I saw was like, so if you can imagine the Maloka is just this huge wooden room and on the outside it's, you're surrounded by like mosquito nets, big green mosquito nets, but it's almost like a teepee. Like it's like a big wooden room with open walls. And then it's like uh, surrounded by mosquito nets. Mm-hmm. So then I'm sitting in there and I just see, if you can imagine like red dots just start to form everywhere. So now I'm seeing red dots. And then they start making shapes. And like, I remember the first shape that I saw and you're in a, you're in a weird state of mind. The first shape that I saw was a lion in the center of the room, just walking around the middle of the room. And so I was like, Oh, that's cool. He must be protecting us. Cause that's just where, (laughs) you know, your mind is at. And you know, it's like a dreamlike state. You can have your eyes open, your eyes closed. Then I close my eyes and honestly, the biggest revelation that I've had uh, throughout that first journey and everybody's journey is going to be different. It's going to speak to you. Like it's a roller coaster ride and you have no idea where it's going. You have no, like you have no idea. So the first experience was almost like a nice introduction to ayahuasca. It was, um, uh, let's see what I, what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. At first, like, the biggest revelation that I had when I had my eyes closed was I saw like I was in the bottom of the the ocean and it would pan out. So if you can imagine just like being in the bottom of the ocean and seeing like fish and then seeing reefs and then seeing, and then it would go out to like, as you panned out, you would see a lake and then you'd see birds fly over It just kept panning up. It was almost like an inception type thing. And then I was looking at the earth then the earth would get like swallowed by a whale and then it would kind of just go through these lives. Like it was crazy. And this was like, it's a movie made for you in your mind. So it would just go literally just keep panning out like inception. And it would just send me through all these different walks of life of different. And it really made me feel like, dude, we're all connected. Like we are all in this together, like nature, like the spiders matter, the ants, the whales, the trees, like everything matters. And it like broke that down for me, like at a level that I can't even really explain. Like it was insane. And that was like kind of the first lesson that I learned and they call it mother ayahuasca. She's a female spirit. And, uh, you know, of course you're using nature to have this experience. So nature is like a huge part of the process. So even after that, so this is like six months later, I was at my aunt's house and she has like this, these, this hedge, these hedging, this hedging with a fence and she wanted me to paint her fence. So then I'm like behind this hedging painting her fence. And of course there's spiders all over the fence. Normally I would just like paint over the spider. You know, I literally like moved every single spider. Cause I was like, dude, no, these things, these things matter. And <laughs> ever since that moment, seriously, like, you know, one of the big things about Buddhism and, you know, Hinduism and even, you know, Christianity is like 
finding God within all things. And now when I see a rabbit or I see a spider or I see whatever, like you can see a piece of yourself in that thing. You can see God in that thing, flowers, you know? So like that was kind of the big lesson that I got from, from that first experience was just, you know, seeing God in all things. That's sick, man. I, um, so my, uh, first hallucinogenic or psychoactive experience was when I was 16, I think 16. And, um, I was on a quest of sorts as well, but also just a quest for freedom, a quest for something more purposeful than, you know, all this crap, like this stuff sucks if there's no deeper meaning behind it. And so, um, same thing happened to me by the end of the experience. I was like, I never want to litter again. I never want to leave trash on the ground. I never, ever want to, you know, contaminate this beautiful place that we have earth. Like I'll go the extra mile. And to this day, it's permanently affected me. It's been 10 years and I'm still at the point where I'm like, I will never leave trash on the ground because I can't stand like, this is nature and I'm going to take this and dispose of it the right way. And I don't know, it's weird. It's interesting how that affects you in such a, like it's a small way, but it has like a large impact. Like, in my life personally, there's lots of weird things that have happened simply by me following that one habit and routine. So continue. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. And just to that point, like, you know, another experience that I had with spiders, this is like a year ago. I was walking around the dog park. Usually when I walk around the dog park, I bring a book. So I'll read a book while I'm walking. And then one time I'm like walking and uh, there was a spider. Like I just kind of look up to the corner of the page and there was a spider just hanging out on the corner of the page, corner of the page. I was like, oh, so crazy. So I decided to observe it for a little bit. And then as I'm observing it, it like stuck its web to my book and just floated away in the wind. And I, I watched that happen. And it, it was like a five second experience where I got to just watch this thing float away. And then it just landed on another plant that was like 10 or 15 feet away from me to where like normally if I, you know, wasn't didn't have the mindset about nature that I'd have, like I would like kill it or like smack it off or freak out. But it was just like a crazy and like cool experience that, I, you know, just by becoming an observer of nature versus like having to control it and be like, you know, like, yeah. so the more that you open yourself up to that type of thing, like you get to see some like incredibly beautiful things happen and ultimately it makes your life better, you know. It's funny because um, along that Buddha-like mindset there's so many it's really the small things that make the most value um like these goals that we were talking about before it's not about the goal it's literally about like that first step and that next step and some guy on the side of the road that you help along the journey or you know some spider that falls on the page it's these little things that really like i don't even know how to describe it but they like bring you into yourself but they also connect you with everything around you and it's like just this network of like loving, peaceful energy that's just floating there, waiting to be recognized all day, every day, if you're just willing to shut up and let it happen. 100%, man. If the little things don't matter, the big things won't matter either. Yep, agreed. So what happened, I'm excited now, you got me rolling. What's on the next day? What happens in day two? Yeah, so day two, um, it actually wasn't as crazy of an experience, but so the first day I decided to sleep in Maloka and kind of everybody else did. Cause you have your like, you have like a little bed set up kind of thing and it's mm-hmm. intimidating being out in the middle of the jungle. So, and you have like, you know, it was, it ended up being like a mile walk to your own little hut. 
which is pretty intimidating in the middle of the jungle, like in, you're in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. So the second day, I didn't really have as much of an experience. Like I just kind of like felt drunk and I felt it was just kind of, you know, yeah, I was just kind of there observing and just, you know, trying to be Zen at the end of it though, you have an opportunity to, to walk back to your, your hut. So I was like, that's tonight's challenge. Cause I didn't really see many visions, but I am going to like try to have the courage to walk to my hut. So when you're in the, when I was in the village, like, you know, there's still a little bit of light or like life. Cause there's, they have like ducks and chickens and dogs and all this stuff. So like, I'm walking through the village and then I get to the edge of the village and it's just like a trail. And then at the trail, there's this huge archway of like vines and it kind of leads into this trail and literally like looking into that trail was pitch blackness. And I was just like, do I, do I go? Like, this is scary. It's like, you know, and then, and not even to mention that, like, there was a dog and, you know, they have like all kinds of dogs and puppies. There was a dog that was, you know, 20 feet away from me, just growling nonstop. Oh so, my God. Story oh. God. So you're, you're in the middle of the jungle. There's trees, vines. It's literally like looking into, and you're also still kind of high, right? You're still like coming down. No. Or yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Definitely. You're like you feel like, like the black mi- mirror of your soul, essentially. <laughs> Yeah. So like, ultimately that was my test. Like I like finally, like literally I looked at that black hole for 10 minutes, no joke. And I'm just like, do I go or like the safe safety of the Maloka is back there. Like I could go back or I could. And then like, ultimately I was like, okay, I'm doing it. And like, I just like walked back, of course, looking over my shoulder every second (laughs) and uh, ultimately got to the, got to my hut and you know, it was just a moment of courage for me that like, I did not want to be a part of. Like, I was just like, I have to face this fear because it's scary. But you know, so that was a big moment for me, even though uh, it wasn't like a psychedelic journey, but it was definitely an act of courage that kind of like, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway is kind of like, what I gleaned from that. Then the third day, you just kind of rest. You don't really do it. You just kind of hang out, hang with your peers and things like that. The fourth day is my, my biggest journey. And, uh, Oh, by the way, in like 10 or 15, like 10 minutes, I should probably jump off. So just a heads up, just cause I got to, yeah, yeah, I, I have, I have a call too. I want to get through this. I want to get to this. Yeah. 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 So I got you. Um, so then the third day of me doing it, the fourth day of the trip was like my most profound. I, I drank the most uh, of the ayahuasca. And at first it was all horrible. It was literally an hour of treachery. Like if you can imagine a haunted forest and I would see like a butterfly fly by and then it would get snatched out of the air by, the, by a snake. I saw myself on my dead bed, my deathbed, my parents on their deathbed. Like it was all horrible and I couldn't get away from it. I'm thinking about like the poison that I put into my body and like it was miserable. So then for some reason, I don't even know why I just started saying, thank you. Like, thank you, mother ayahuasca. I'm grateful for this humbling experience. Thank you. I need this. As soon as I started being grateful, the good started beating out the bad. 
So then, you know, like I wouldn't even notice the snake snatching the butterfly out of the air. I would notice all of the, the beautiful nature around me or, you know, that you would see like sacred geometry or like pretty pyramids or like beautiful lights and things like that. Once I started being grateful for the experience, I noticed all of the good. So that was a huge revelation for me because like growing up, I felt like I was always had massive expectations always of myself, of everybody else around me. And like, you know, massive expectations lead to big disappointments. And so I was constantly disappointed because I wasn't grateful. So that was like a huge revelation for me is like once I embraced gratitude, then I can experience the beauty, the beauty of life. So that was huge for me. And then another thing that I saw, and this is like one of the mind blowing things is I saw myself in shackles. So I had wrist and ankle shackles on and I had like a chain around my neck. So I was essentially like a prisoner and then this chain was linked to something. And so I'm sitting there on my like, so I'm watching this. I'm, a, I'm a, an observer of this. I'm only seeing myself in shackles. And then like in my mind's eye, it kind of pans out a little bit. And then there was another version of me holding myself in those shackles. <laughs> Swear to God, like, dude, it was the most insane thing. And I hear a voice audibly in my he head that said, you know who you are. Stop holding yourself back. And I was like, you know, like that was, it was just such a powerful like visual. And I truly believe that ayahuasca is an incredible tool. Of course you can get like, you know, there are people there that could get like out of reality and like you have to come back and you have to re reflect and you, but like, it's seriously a tool and those experiences, like I can, I mean, I did this five years ago and I can remember every single moment like it was yesterday like I still have such vivid memories and like it truly changed my life and it you know ultimately helped upgrade me to where I am today I'm like super happy I'm doing what I love I'm helping lots of people and like you know it, it's been awesome that's sweet man is that the um is that the closure of the story well, yeah, those are like my biggest revelations for sure. Like, I mean, once I embraced gratitude and also that's kind of turned into a, a life of service of helping others and having the, you know, the joy and like being just grateful to have the opportunity to help others. Like I've just became such so much happier of a person and, uh, that was the, definitely the biggest lesson that I got from ayahuasca and it's played into today. And I think about it on a regular basis. So absolutely. What do you think? Um, do you think you would do it again? Yeah, but it's scary. Yeah. Like, I, you know, it's definitely like, I, I think the whole thing behind a lot of psychedelics is they say, you know, when you get the message, put down the phone and I haven't really, I've gotten the message and I haven't really needed more guidance yet. Like, yeah. I'm sure I will, but it's like a scare. It's intimidating because you go into this rabbit hole and you have no idea. Like, you don't like, you know, it's not like I'm like, okay, I'm going to think about first really bad things. And then I'm going to think about like, 
you have no idea what you're going to face. So it's scary. You're like, you know, facing an unknown enemy or like, and yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I would do it again. I will do it again. I just don't know when. Okay. Have you, ex- um, since that experience, you obviously had some big takeaways. Uh, did you ever, did you ever smoke weed after that? Did you ever do anything yeah. else? After that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I smoked weed. I uh, haven't done any other psychedelics. I'd probably like to try mushrooms. I've been like delving into, uh, delving into the science of mushrooms. I listen to a lot of Paul Stamets and, you know, I, I know his research shows a lot of incredible, like, you know, reforming of neural pathways and things like that. So it's definitely something that I would like to try. I haven't yet. Um, so. All right. And um, let's end with a really fun question, which is uh, what will your legacy be? You know, I want to help as many, I want to help as many people as possible. One thing, number one is my favorite thing to do is get people to quit their jobs. (laughs) Like, I love that because I know what it's done for me. And so many people are caught in that repetitive cycle of like, go to work, get a paycheck, go to work, get a paycheck. Like I remember working in finance and you know, one lady who was super sweet and I would talk to her on on a regular basis. I'd be like, Oh, what'd you do this weekend? And she's like, you know, I cleaned my apartment. And then next weekend, like, Oh, what'd you do? I cleaned. And she just seemed like she's dead on the inside. And there's a, quote that says most people you know die in their 20s or 30s but they're buried in their 70s or 80s and like having had these experiences and like knowing that everything is going to be okay like you can go out you move to hawaii which is a great example like who knows if you're going to stay in hawaii or not like you can come back but you took you know you had the courage to take that experience and then now you can tell people about it. Yeah. I lived in, you know, a permanent vacation for six months or whatever. And it was incredible and life changing. And now I'm pursuing my passion because of it, because I've gotten out of the system of saying, Oh, okay. I just need a job, a steady job to get a paycheck. And then I'm going to get my two weeks vacation. And like, so the more people that I can get to quit their job and actually live a life that they're passionate about, like that's honestly the legacy that I want to have because I know it's possible. Hell yeah, my man. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you get out of here. I know you got, I know you got stuff to take care of. I do as well. Um, and man, we, I feel like we opened a doorway towards so many other talks. We'll have to have. Them, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I appreciate the uh, time and you doing this and it was super fun. And then I'll have to interview you, you one day as well. Yeah, man. I'm sure you'll start a podcast. I mean, everybody starts a podcast these days. Right. So.